Well, about eight years ago, I was asked to do chapel on a Sunday morning at the Bristol Motor Speedway. And I came out of that chapel and looked at 160,000 fans that are packed in a half mile track. And I said, there's gotta be a way to reach them. And so that's where the vision was really born. The vision is to provide faith-based, family-friendly entertainment. That's really what Victory Weekend is all about. For almost 30 years, we did crusades, encounters, festivals. But now we're going to where people are. We're not asking people to come to where we are. We're not having to spend lots of money in promotion. The crowd is already there. And many of those people have walked away from the church. But we're using things that they like with the message of Christ. And they are responding. They love this nation. They love the military. They are very patriotic. They love country music. They like fishing, they like hunting, and we're providing things that attract a crowd. Each one of these partners are very committed Christians. They share their testimony. It took a choice for me. It took me surrendering my will and my life to him to get to, you know, for him to work in my life. One of the things they love are drivers. Uh, these are their heroes, and there are about 12 or more very committed Christian drivers, and I have the opportunity to interview them, interact with them, and fans love it. I'm just grateful for somebody like uh, the Victory Weekend Ministry to come aboard, and so I definitely want to tell everybody about my walk with Christ and hopefully encourage them to do the same if they haven't had the opportunity before. This last Dover experience, it was one of the biggest God moments of my life. God just arrested the crowd, and we went from revelry to total silence where they were hearing the Word of God and they responded. Hundreds of them made decisions for Christ. That's why I love doing what I'm doing. We're going to where people are rather than ask them to come to where we are. And God has chosen to honor this. People are responding, lives are being changed, and I could not be more excited about what God's going to do in the future. Thank you very much. Uh, to God be the glory. So, uh, I pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming sometimes uh, of what God has done and what he is doing. Um, I didn't tell this in any of the other services, but you know that I uh, said that first Bristol experience. Um, I was asked to speak that Sunday morning because uh, a friend of mine was releasing a new uh, thing for your computer to protect against pornography. And the theme of the race that day was... Um, a race against pornography. And Barb and I, my wife and I, had been in Sarasota for some, I was speaking down there, and we flew back to Charlotte together. And uh, I went over uh, to her gate. I walked her to her gate and kissed goodbye, and I went to go to the Bristol gate. And it's amazing how the enemy tempts you at times. But I'm walking down the corridor. Now, I'm going to speak against a race against pornography. And uh, I don't know if I've ever told this publicly. But anyway, I'm, I'm going down, down the... Uh, quarter, and it's just as clear as this buddy you had spoken to me. He's, this voice said, why don't you check those magazines out of there so you know what you're talking about? <laughs> and I said, what? I mean, I, I, it stopped me in my track. I said, that's of the devil. I rebuked that in Jesus' name, and I took about two steps, and this lady came up to me and said, are you Steve Wingfield? 
I said, I am. She said, oh, praise God, my, my husband and I got saved at your encounter two years ago. I can't wait to go home and tell my husband that I saw you. Now, what if I had listened to that voice? <laughs> uh, so, so when the Lord speaks, you need to listen to him, not the devil. Okay. Um, how many veterans, active duty military, do we have here? Raise your hand. Would you, I, I, yeah, praise God. Would you all come up and just take your place on the platform? I want all of you to just come up and make a line across here, okay? We're going to honor you today. And I got some friends that are going to help with this. Come on, you can go help them. Come on up. Let's thank God for them again, okay? This is awesome. Wonderful, wonderful. Just make way here. That's, that's, you're a blessed church to have this many servants. Well, what we do at Victory Weekend, we bring everybody up during the concert, and uh, we simply hang a medal around their neck and say, thank you for your service. And so Buddy and several of the other staff are going to help uh, do this, but we want each of you to receive a medal. I think I got enough. Not, I'll send you one. God bless you, sir. Thanks for your service. Amen. Thank you for your service, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Hey. Woo! Hey, Thank you. Three weeks from Afghanistan. Hey, God bless you, sir. All right. Thank you. He just got back three weeks ago from Afghanistan. Oh, thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Yeah. Woo. <clears throat> I'm a big crybaby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I never do this. It, it just gets me. Um, and I'm going to tell you why we do this. Um, this has been such a learning experience for me. Um, we did our first victory weekend in Bristol, and uh, the next year we did three races. We did both Bristol races, and we did Darlington. And at Darlington, I had uh, a double amputee from Iraq that shared his testimony. And uh, following his presentation, we were sitting backstage, and he asked me a question that just nailed me. And uh, I'm going to ask you that question. But it also opened my eyes to a whole desperate need. And uh, the question was this. Where's the most dangerous place to serve in the U.S. military? And I said, Afghanistan. And he said, you're wrong. I said, what do you mean I'm wrong? Something going on I don't know anything about. He said, evidently. And then he told me that we're going to lose more to suicide than we will on the battlefield. And it was like cold chills just went all over me. Since then, I've learned not only are we losing one active duty every day to suicide, we're losing 22 veterans a day every day to suicide. I want that to sink in. 22 a day. While we're in service today, somebody's going to kill themselves. And you say, 
why is all this going on? Well, you know, war is hell. Anybody that doesn't understand that doesn't understand anything. World War I was terrible. There was four years and they came home. World War II, four years they came home. Korea, a little longer, came home. Vietnam, longer, but they came home if they came home. I've met several people that were deployed twice in Vietnam, but I've met young people that have been deployed 12 and 14 times over the past 20 years. They've seen and experienced stuff that I can't even begin to get my head around. And they're carrying pain that most of us can't even comprehend. And we've decided to start addressing this to help bring awareness to it. And our hashtag is 22 a day and no more. Uh, we're trying to stop this. And one of the ways is by bringing awareness to it and helping churches and helping veterans realize that there's a safe place. You're surrounded by people that love you and want to help. And we're here to listen. We can't answer all the questions maybe, but we want to be your friend. We want to tell you that we love and respect you. And this is a safe place for you to be. I hope you'll tell your friends that. This is the place to be. Jesus can heal he can restore. I want to tell you just a couple of stories that came out of Michigan before I get to the message this morning. Last year, uh, we had about, uh, this track said we have 6,000 people at our event. And, of course, we honor, on Saturday night, we honor uh, veterans, active duty, military, first responders. We had about 160, 180, I forget exactly now, uh, people that responded. We hung metal. We meddled them. And uh, prayed over them. And then I segue from that into a gospel presentation because, you know, the medal that I gave you cost me a dollar and I think four, 35 or 45 cents. So it's not super expensive, but it's given out of a heart of love and deep appreciation. So it's got a lot of value in that respect, even though it's not expensive. But I want everybody to leave with another medal that is invaluable. And the only way to have that medal is to know Christ. And it's called a crown of righteousness in the Bible. And so we had about 200 and some people that had made decisions for Christ, and we handed out follow-up materials and, and prayed with them. And so when I came off the platform, there was a gentleman my age uh, that was a Vietnam veteran, and he literally fell into my arms weeping. And if I hadn't held him up, he would have fallen to the ground. And uh, when he finally began to get control of himself, he just started saying, thank you, thank you. And this is what he ended up telling me. He said, when I came back from Nam, people yelled at me, they cursed me, they ridiculed me, they belittled me. And I went home and I took my uniform off and I put it in the attic. And I didn't want anybody to know where I'd been. And tonight, for the first time, I felt honored for what I did. And I prayed with him and thanked him. And when I finished, I turned, there was a young kid, 19 years of age, just gotten back from Afghanistan. And he said, Preacher, you nailed me tonight. I said, what do you mean I nailed you? He said, I got back from Afghanistan three weeks ago. And uh, I've thought of nothing but suicide every day. And I was going to come to the race this weekend. <sighs> Pulled the trigger Monday. He said, but Jesus rescued me tonight. 
That's what it's all about. You say, that's just freak happening. No, the next weekend I was preaching at the 100th anniversary of a church near my home, and I told those stories, and they had a guest praise band there that day because we were at the Half Community Center in Weir's Cave. And Anyway, this drummer came to me at the end. We were packing up, and he said, Preacher, keep doing what you're doing, man. I said, I plan to. He said, there's a desperate need out there. I said, I know that. And he said, I should be a statistic. And three years earlier, he'd gotten back from Iraq and taken a nine millimeter to his head. But he had it at an angle, thank the Lord. He said, and through that, I came to Jesus. The next weekend, I'm preaching at Thomas Road Baptist in Lynchburg. And this is why we changed a year ago to do what I just did. At the time, I was just picking out one veteran. I'd ask everybody to raise their hand, and I, whoever the first one was, I'd say, come up here, I want to show you what we do at Victor Weekend, and I, I meddled this guy, and he's crying, and thank me, he was a Vietnam veteran. But all during this service, he's sitting up here just weeping. At the end of the service, he came to me. He said, I guess you wonder what's going on. I said, yeah. He said, my son's a statistic. He got back from Iraq and killed himself. I'm saying that there's so much pain in this community. If you can imagine we're losing 23 a day, one active duty, 22 veterans. Can you imagine what's below the surface that doesn't get there? Drug, alcohol abuse, marriage problems, family issues, relationship issues. So I share that so you're aware of the need. I hope your slogan will be 22 a day and no more. We've got to put a stop to it. So, okay. Uh, everybody know what these are? The race flags, okay? Uh, I hope that you will look at them differently from day today. They're also spiritual flags, and I'm going to use them uh, as my message this morning. Somebody told me earlier they came in this morning for the first service, they thought these were decorations. Well, they are, but whatever, what does this one stand for? Go, start, yeah. Go, I'm going to use go. Uh, every driver sees this and they know it's time to go. I mean, the race has started. Well, it has a spiritual meaning for us as well. What don't you understand about go? I mean, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go. He told all of us, Matthew 28, yeah, there's a Great Commission, but there's a Great Commission text in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then in Acts 1-8, just prior to the Lord going back to heaven, he repeats it. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be. That's an emphatic statement. Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. God has called all of us to be his effective witness, if you know Christ in a personal way. Now, not everybody in this room is called to be a pastor. Thank God that he calls people to be pastors. Not everybody here has the gift of teaching. Thank God for teachers. You're going to honor teachers. It's a gift. It's a great gift. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. That's a gift. Ephesians talks about that. I feel, and those people that have known me best, uh, have affirmed. And for over 40 years now, uh, I have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, as buddy said, really all around the world. And it's a gift. I, I thank God for that gift. But all of us who name the name of Christ are called by God to be a witness. Now, so the only option I have, the only option you have, I'm going to be an effective witness or I'm going to be an ineffective witness. But if I know Christ, God's called me to be his witness, to go. Now, I want to be an effective witness, and I want you to be an effective witness. And I'm going to give you a good definition of an effective witness. An effective witness is somebody, anybody, who takes the initiative 
to present the claims of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaves the results to God. See, we can't save anybody. We just take the initiative to present the claims. Now, several years ago, prior to Bill Bright's death, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, I was asked with a group of others to meet with him about two weeks before he died. He was on auction in a wheelchair, but he wanted to meet with a group of us who were evangelists. And he said at that time, that he felt about 96% of the church in North America never shares their faith. I hope that's not true about you and about Salem Fields. God has reached us. If you know Christ, we become the dwelling place of God. And the reason he wants to not only live in us, he wants to use us to expand his kingdom, to be his effective witness. Now, I'm going to give you two statements that I hope will help you. They've helped me. And uh, I want you to see that we're all in this together. In fact, we're being told by missiologists that it's taking more and more touches in North America before a person is even ready to make a decision for Christ. For instance, uh, I was president of my senior class in high school. And in a public school in Danville, Virginia, it was my responsibility every day to line up devotions. I'd have somebody go, we'd go to the principal's office, somebody would read from the daily bread or the upper room, some devotional guide. Somebody would lead us all in the Lord's Prayer over the intercom, and then we'd pledge allegiance to the flag. That was in a public school. We're so far removed from that today, and not even close. And so we've raised a generation that's literally biblically illiterate. And so it's taking more and more touches. So if you sow... You know, you may sow, you may cultivate a little bit, you may put some water on it. Twelve times down the line, somebody comes along and shares the message of Christ, and they make a decision. We're in this together. We're all partners together. Here's the two statements. If you sow and don't reap, somebody's going to reap after you. Be faithful. That's all God asks us to do, to be faithful. That's how God spells success, faithfulness. So if you sow and don't reap, somebody's going to reap after you. Galatians tells us, don't become discouraged in well-doing, because in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Now, the other part is this. If you reap, which is often the case for me, having not sown, thank God for those that sowed before you. We don't ever have a right to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look what God. No, we're all in it together. We're just instruments in God's hand to be used to expand his kingdom. So if you reap, having not sown, just thank God for the pastor or the mom or dad or grandparent or friend or whomever that sowed into this person's life and you happen to come along and share the message and then make a decision. But God has called us to go. In fact, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. The point is this, if we're not fishing, we're not following God wants us to go fishing, so go. All right. What does this one over here mean? Caution. Every driver sees this. means slow down. There's trouble ahead. Be careful. Caution. Reduce your speed. Now, here's the point for us. This represents the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is in us, if you know Christ in a personal way. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.22 that we become the dwelling place of God. I've never gotten over that. I hope I never do. I mean, the fact that the God of all creation, the God that spoke this world into existence, the God that knit me together inside my mother's womb and scheduled every day of my life, that God has taken up residence in me. I am the dwelling place of God. 
Now, if you know Christ in a personal way, I'd like you to say with me on the count of three, I am the dwelling place of God, okay? One, two, three. I am the dwelling place of God. Wow. Just think about that. God, of all creation, is living in us. Why? Well, Ephesians says he's there to equip us and strengthen us so that we can do exceeding abundantly far beyond anything we could ask or imagine according to our intellect, or our creativity, or our, no, according to his power that's at work in us. See, I figured out a long time ago, if God can use the donkey to talk for him, I'm home free, okay? And he wants to use you. He wants to empower you. He wants to equip you. But he's also there to protect us to speak into our lives. And when he speaks, we need to listen. In fact, my dad's, one of my dad's favorite hymns was trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. My question to you this morning, are you trusting and are you obeying? See, the Holy Spirit is taking up residence in us. If you know Christ to protect us and guide us. I was having breakfast recently with a friend of mine that about 20 years ago, I think it was I had met with him, and he had prayed to receive Christ. And he did really good for a while, but recently he made some bad decisions. And so I called him. I said, Don, would you meet me for breakfast? And we did. And uh, I asked him, I said, Don, what happened? Did, didn't you hear God speaking to you? Did, didn't you hear him saying, don't go there? And he said something that is frightening to me, but he said it. He said, yeah, Steve, I heard him, but I didn't want to listen. Wow. I hope that's not true in your life. Because, see, when God speaks, we need to listen and we need to obey. Because he's speaking for a reason. He wants to protect you. He wants nothing but the best for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And so when he speaks, we can trust him, and we need to obey him. And my friend went on to say, the grass looked greener on the other side of the fence. And I said, yep. And it was going over a septic tank too, buddy. Look what's happened. Two families have been destroyed because you did not listen, you did not obey. Oh, my friend, I, I encourage you today. Have a sensitive ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when he speaks, not only listen, but obey. Now, what does this one mean? You, but, you, you broke a rule if you're a race car driver. Now, if the guy waves this at you and points at your car, it means you're going to have to report to the pit. And while you're there listening to the, the race official, everybody else is going around. <laughs> you're in trouble. For us, it represents sin. And the enemy of our soul wants you to believe that when you mess up, you're done. God doesn't want anything to do with you. That, that's a lie built straight out of hell. 1 John 1, 9 was written to us as believers. 1 John begins, my dear little children. So when you say something, do something, think something, whatever, that is a sin, we need to run quickly to God and say, Lord, would you forgive me? I, I, I want to live clean. I want to live pure. But I messed up. See, he's waiting to forgive you. The enemy wants you to think that, hey, you've disappointed him. And you may have disappointed him, but he still loves you. 
I want to share with you a little concept that was introduced to me a number of years ago called spiritual breathing. See, God made us in such a way that we breathe to sustain life. We inhale, my body extracts that which I need, and I exhale, and life goes. And what happens to me if I quit breathing? Well, at best, I pass out, and if something's not done, I die. It's a great visual reminder of what sin does, but the Bible says sin, when it is finished, leads to death. So we need to deal with that. And how do we deal with it? We confess it. We just own up to it. I blew it. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it. You know, it's amazing that sometimes you'll say things to the people you love the most that you'd never stand on a stage like this. That's the way the enemy works. I mean, there are times that I, I have to go to my wife and say, Barb, will you forgive me? Don't, don't let those things build up. Now, this is a little exercise. If you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. This afternoon, get some quiet space by yourself. Get a notebook. Some of you might need to. But, uh, and just write down everything you've ever done wrong. You say, what? Yeah, if you feel guilty over it, write it down. If you can remember it, write it down. And when you get where you can't remember anything else, say, Lord, is there anything else? And if he reminds you of something, write it down. And once you've done that, I want you to turn to 1 John 1, 9, read it. Write all over that stuff, 1 John 1, 9. Take it, rip it up, tear it up, burn it up, flush it, do whatever you want to. It's a visible reminder of what Jesus said he'd do. I'll take your sin and move it as far as the east, it's from the west, and never remember it again. Wow. That's infinity. He didn't say north to south, said east to west. I don't care how far you go east, you're still going east. I don't care how far you go west, you're still going west. And if he's going to forget it, why should we carry it around? He wants to set you free. Now, Satan may come to you tomorrow, the next day, or next week and say, hey, remember. No, I forgot. Jesus forgot it too. Leave me alone, man. I belong to Jesus. So, spiritual breathing. We exhale, we give it to God, and we inhale. Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. Here's my cup. I lift it up. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Somebody asked Evangelist D.L. Moody once, why do you pray so often to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't you believe God's done it? Sort of implying it's one and done. And Moody, in his quick-witted way, said, oh, yeah, I know God's done it, but I leak. <laughs> we all do, okay? So deal with it. What does this one mean? Stop, okay? It does. And when, when they wave this, it means the race is stopped. Not over, but it's stopped. Maybe it's a rain delay. Maybe there's been a big wreck they got to clean up. So the, you have to park the car, and you wait until the race to, this green flag's going to drop again, but right now it's stopped. For us, you may have had a spiritual wreck, and you got to park it for a while so you can get healed and restored. But th see, this green flag's going to drop again. The enemy wants you to believe, hey, you're done. That's a lie. God can still use you. He can still restore. So when the race is stopped, just spend time in communion with him, getting healed, getting restored. Maybe you've had a physical issue. You had to park it for a while. Get restored because this green flag is going to drop again, and God wants you to run hard. So during that stop time, spend it communing with him. Don't be discouraged in it. Now, a lot of people don't even know what this one is and, or it even exists. Move over. You got it. <laughs> it means you're going too slow. There are faster cars approaching. Now, this has great spiritual application. <laughs> because there's going to come a time that this is going to wave for all of us. 
It's already way for me in some areas. I mean, when I was in high school and college, I ran track and played football. I think about these sometimes, but, you know, uh, I think about running and I lay down and it goes away. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are some things I just can't do. That's just a fact of life. And spiritually, I want to be an encouragement to the younger generation. I don't want to obstruct traffic. And the temptation is at times, hey, they're doing it different than I did it. But see, I want to encourage them. I want to stay in the race. I want to run hard as long as I can. Buddy asked me how old I was a while ago. I didn't ask him, how old are you? 61. So, okay. I'm 67. Now, you know, I, I just can't do some of the things. But I, I want to run as long and as hard as I can for as long as I can. But over these next several years, my goal is to put as many young bucks on this platform as I can possibly do, give them an opportunity to use the gifts that God's given them, and I get great joy out of just encouraging them, get, making it happen. I want to stay involved as long as I can, but I want to encourage others. My mom taught me a lot about that. My mom, I, I was raised in a Methodist parson. My dad was a godly preacher, uh, and after dad died, my mom lived in Thaxton, Virginia, near Bedford, between Bedford and Roanoke. Uh, for about four years, and then she made a decision that she's going to move in a retirement home and sell the place, and she did. And after she'd been there a couple of weeks, I went down to see her. She was 86 at the time. And I said, how, how do you like it? Oh, I like it. I, I said, what all you do? I mean, you got all this time on your hands. Oh, she said, they have crafts, things that we do, and, and they took field trips, used a field trip at least once a week, go somewhere, went up to Peaks of Auto last week. And she said, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I volunteered to read to the old people. <laughs> now, <laughs> the, the point is, she couldn't do everything she did as a young pastor's wife. But I want to tell you something. She was still in the race. She wasn't running maybe as long and as hard as she once did. But four years later, at 99, I, I mean at 89, just before her 90th birthday, when she went home to be with the Lord, it's as though that retirement home had lost a chaplain. And guess what they had? So my friend, as long as there's breath in your lungs, stay in the race. Keep running. Don't obstruct traffic. Let some of the younger ones get out there and run in front of you. But stay involved. Now, what does this one mean? One lap to go. Every driver sees this. And you know, they, they know that they got one lap to get it done. There's somebody up on a flag stand waving this. The difference for us is this. God's not up there waving it. But make no mistake about it. There's going to be a last lap for every one of us. So the point to take away, the takeaway is this. You want to run every lap like it's the last. So that one day, God will wave this one for you. The race is over, and you won. That's what I want for all of us. I want you to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Now, I'm going to go back and use them one more time. This one represents sin. And Scripture is very clear about this. All of us, 
have sinned. All of us. All of humanity has sinned. There's none of us righteous, not even one. One of the things that a lot of people misunderstand about a relationship with Christ is they have this misconception, and it's, it's amazing to me that so many people believe this, that there's going to be the scale in heaven, and all your bad deeds are over here, and all your good deeds are over here. And when you stand before God, if it goes like this, you're in trouble. If it goes like this, you're okay. But you know what the Bible says about my righteousness? And, and I think I'm a pretty good guy. I, I do. I, I love the Lord. I try to do my best. But my righteousness in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God is nothing more than a bunch of filthy, wretched rags. My only hope of eternal life is through what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And Jesus said something on the cross that was very profound. It's finished. Now, he was not talking about the fact that he was getting ready to die. That statement means the price has been paid for your sin and mine. You can't add to it. You can't take it. God paid it. He purchased me with his blood. And the Bible says that when we come to know Christ, that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In other words, when God looks at us, if you know Christ, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Christ that's covered all of my sin. And my sin once was black, has been made as white as snow. I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And his desire is that I would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. The scripture verse that's on the back of those medals that I gave out is Philippians 1.6. And it says, the good work that God has begun in you. If you know Christ in a personal way, he's begun a good work in you. And he wants to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. See, the normal Christian life is a life that says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, on a daily basis. It took him just a week to make the sun and earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. One of the ways that we grow is by following the Lord, I believe, in believer's baptism. And the blue represents the waters of baptism. The water doesn't save us. We're saved through the blood of Christ. But it's an act of obedience. For me, for instance, I, I was baptized as a kid. And I, I'd pray. I, you know, how you sort all this out theologically, I don't know. Uh, I know I prayed the right thing as a kid. I prayed the right thing as a young teen. I prayed, prayed it again my senior year in high school. And for a couple of weeks, I'd do real good. And next thing I know, I'd be back. But in 1970, my life changed. And I was at a Youth for Christ rally in Ocean City, New Jersey. I was reading my devotions one morning and said, repent, believe, and be baptized. I said, I did that in reverse order. <laughs> and I decided I wanted to follow the Lord in baptism. My, my, one of my brothers I was with uh, baptized me in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, I was saved. I know that. If I died, I'd gone to heaven. But it was just an outward sign of an inward transaction. And we want to keep growing so that one day we hear from God, you've won. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
in and out into the joy of the Lord. In heaven, where the streets are paved with gold. Amen. That's what I want for all of you. I want you to experience that. You know, it's amazing to me that that which we value most here on this earth, gold, is used for pavement in heaven. But it makes sense because Scripture says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of mankind what God has prepared for those that love him. You know, we, we live in a beautiful place. I, I love Virginia. I'm a, I'm a native Virginian. And I know I'm a little biased, but I, I think, you know, God took a little extra care in Virginia. He got out to Kansas, just rolled it out. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the Scripture says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. It's no wonder Paul said, I have not seen, the earth not heard. Can, you can't even begin to comprehend this. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I mean, he did this in six days. I don't have any problem with that. He just said, be and it be. One of these days he's going to say, don't be no more, and it ain't going to be no more. But, you know, he's, he's been working on heaven for 2,000. Woo! I mean, that's reality. And I want you to be there. Now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer, either as a first-time commitment or a recommitment. If, if God spoke to you and you realize that there's something blocking communication between you and the Lord, make this your prayer. I'm going to lead you a phrase at a time because I want you to know. I don't want you to have any doubt. Scripture says, these things have I written unto you that you might know, not think, not hope, but know that you have the gift of eternal life. God wants you to know that. <coughs> so I want you to make this your, I'll re lead you a phrase at a time and you can pray it right where you are. Would you bow your head with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for giving your life for me. I thank you that you paid the price for all of my sin. And I'm thankful that you didn't stay dead. You are alive. And because you live, I can live. And right now, I confess to you my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. I invite you to come into my heart. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you will help me be a responsible member of your family. Now, before we say amen together, if you prayed that prayer, heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and say, Steve, I'm in. I'm in. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sight. Whether it's a first-time commitment or a recommitment. Lord, I thank you for so many decisions. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. And I claim Philippians 1.6 for every person that raised their hand. The good work that you've begun in them. Lord, I pray that you'll carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And for that, we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I want all of us to say together, amen louder than you've ever said it. Together, amen. amen. Whew, thank God. Uh, you know, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when one person comes to faith.
I think they're having a holy fit in heaven right now. <laughs> Whew. Uh, this is good stuff. Thank you so very much. And uh, now I've got one thing I want you to do, okay? If you prayed that prayer, we don't need secret service agents, okay? God doesn't need any undercover agents. He needs some men and women, young people that are willing to stand up and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. So before you go to bed tonight, I want you to tell somebody. I'd really like, before you leave today, to tell one of the pastoral staff or me that I prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, I've got a little book out there on the table called Building Your Faith. You just go back there and tell them, I prayed that prayer. I want you to have one. It's free, okay? And it's just a basic Bible study, and I would encourage you to go through it. So thanks again. God bless you. We're not quite finished yet. You can stay standing up because, man, I want you to get in your wallet, and I want you to get out all the cash you got. I know you don't have much, or get your debit card out, or get your checkbook out, because we want to give Steve a great, great love offering. He deserves um, a good love offering for this weekend. He and Michael have poured their hearts out and blessed us, and we want to bless them, right? So I want to get, we're going to take an offering in just a moment. You can be seated because we, um, we're going to have one more song, but I just did that just to have a little object lesson there. Um, but uh, we're going to take a love offering, and we're going to give that to uh, these guys for helping us out this weekend, and uh, we certainly appreciate that, appreciate their ministry, and uh, Steve's uh, livelihood is wrapped around what he does here in NASCAR, and he does what he does by faith, trusting God, and we're going to help him out. I know that, and I appreciate that. He also has a book table out there, and it's called, uh, uh, well, he's got a book out there called Winning the Race Every Day. Keep Your Drive Alive. Now, that'd be, that's a devotional book. I'm going to get one of these myself. I'm going to try to get this one without paying for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, kind of. Um, <laughs> I am really kidding. Uh, <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. Anyway, go see his book table. But if you receive Christ today also, we'd like for you to see one of our pastors in the back. There's a little table that we'd like for you to tell them about your commitment to Christ. They have something for you as well, as well as what Steve has. You know, I, uh, Steve, you want to come up? You said you wanted to say something else. But you know what? I had great hope in Steve, and I was going to invite him back uh, to come back to Salem Fields. But I want you all to know he highly offended me this morning, and he won't be coming back. <laughs> so. Well, I, it was too good not to. I, I, I was told that Buddy would really be offended by what I said, but I couldn't resist. Uh, I told him that Frank Beamer, I just found out yesterday, has bought a house in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. And he said, well, really? I said, yeah. He said, when he retires, he wants to live in the state of Virginia, but he wants to get as far away from football as he can. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> um, what I want to tell you, if you will sign up uh, to be, receive our email, or friend me on Facebook. Uh, I got a public figure page, uh, Steve Wingfield, or Victor Weekend, because in about two weeks, uh, we're gonna be releasing a new app. Uh, it's been designed for us. It's called the Victor Weekend app, so you can be looking for it. It's just, this will be the symbol. And if you'll fill out a brief spiritual profile, it's gonna ask you a couple of questions. Every day, based on your spiritual need, scripture verse will be sent to you up to four times a day. 
and that we're really excited about it because we've been looking for a way to um, do a better job of following up the people that make decisions at these races because most of these people have walked away from the church. Uh, you know, when we were doing crusades, we had to work hard to get 5% of the people. We go to a football stadium or a gymnasium or a civic arena or a tent, and about 5% of the people were, were unreached. But now we're going to where 95% of them. Uh, and I know you guys are considering sending a mission team to Dover and maybe Michigan this year, and I'm excited about that. We had 10 churches uh, that camped in the campground where we were in Bristol. Uh, but this is not a church service. If you've ever been to a race, there's all kinds of debauchery. And by around 10 o'clock, uh, there's a lot of liquid consumption that goes on. Uh, but God is just intervening. It's, it, it, I may get thrown off the stage the next one. I don't know. Uh, at Dover the other year, uh, I got, when I came out to do my thing, uh, several of the guys that were volunteering with us said, we better go get in front of the stand. They're going to kill him. <laughs> but... It, it's never failed that God, the Holy Spirit, just comes in and settles on them. Uh, at Talladega this last year, I, I'll, I'll clean this up. You can use your imagination. I got up on stage about 10 o'clock. We were getting ready to honor veterans and, and share the gospel. And there was a section over here to my right that they were wasted. And they were yelling, get off the stage. We want to hear more music. Get out of my music. And the guy right in the front, he takes his head off, turns around and says, shut the blank up and let the preacher talk. <laughs> And he turns around to me and takes his hat and says, okay, preacher, go ahead. <laughs> but when I gave the invitation, he got saved. I spent about an hour talking to him. So uh, we've had people come up, you know, at Daytona uh, this year. Had a guy, had one of these Miller Light cans, gooseneck bottle. I didn't ask him, but he came up and he's hugging me and he's, he's and he pours it. He's pouring it out. I didn't ask him for it. And he says, what did blank just happen to me? I said, he said, I, I feel totally different on the inside. I said, well, come on, let's sit down and we'll talk about it. And it, it's amazing what God's doing. But it's not your typical church crowd. Just be aware of that, okay? <laughs> uh, but we're having a good time and God's using it. So thanks a lot. If you want to stop by the table, I'll be glad to sign, the, sign any books you have. And if, that's Jeff Gordon's old, I mean, I'm, oh, excuse me, Jeff. Whoa. Jeff Burton's old car. Uh, it actually won, it's not just a show car. It actually won two sprint races. And he wrecked it at uh, Darlington, and I got it and got, got it fixed up so people can have a NASCAR experience. So if you want to get in it, but you got to be able to get out, and uh, you'll twist a few ways you haven't twisted in a while, but I uh, hope you'll enjoy that. God bless.